Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is part 100 in the series, Contending for the Faith. This is the morning service of Sunday the 17th of February 2013, entitled The Glorious Church of Jesus Christ, Part 32. And the Bible reading is taken from Mark chapter 16, verses 15 and 16. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. As you're opening your Bibles this morning, same passage we've been looking at for a few weeks in the Gospel of Mark chapter 16, we're batting a century this morning. I'm sure you didn't think because I didn't think some three years ago when we began this series that we'd be chalking up today as the 100th sermon in our current series on contending for the faith. Of course, we've looked at a number of topics through that, and at the present, we've been looking, would you believe it, for this past year, the glorious church, the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, preacher, you really think you should be preaching that long on one subject? I could preach now until the Lord returns. We still not cover everything. The church, it is the bride of Christ. It's who Jesus died and gave himself for. It's what today, if you're not a part of that church, then your hope for eternity is not a good one. And also today, if you're alive and breathing and still here and you are saved, you need to be part of a church. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ is using to fulfill his uh, job, his work here upon this earth. So today, no apologies. (laughs) I love the church. Jesus loved it. And as we begin to look, we're trying to see, number one, foremost, how you are a part of that church and what that church is and what it does. And of course, as we're looking at the church right now, we're looking at the operation of a New Testament church. In other words, how's the church supposed to operate? What's it supposed to do? We looked at a number of sermons on worship as the ministry of worship is a vital part of the church. And we've been looking the last few weeks at the ministry of witness. Now, we've said that the ministry of witness was, first of all, that it was crucial. We saw that it was central. We saw that it was commanded. We saw that it was compassionate. And we saw that it was Christian, that it was Christ-like. It was what we're supposed to be. And that if it all, all those things that we have seen from Scripture already, that it requires some things of us. It requires commitment, cooperation, and communion. And we begin looking at this matter of requiring commitment last week. Our passage in Mark chapter 16, verse 15 and 16 says, if you'd like to stand to honor the reading of God's word, Jesus speaking, and he said unto them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Father, thank you again for this morning. Thank you for the privilege, Lord, that we have of standing and preaching your word. Thank you, Lord, for each and every one of us having the health and the strength and a place to come as we come together in this place this morning to honor you, to glorify you, to worship you. Father, we pray now that over these next moments as we look into your word, that by the power of your spirit, Lord, that man would not be seen nor heard, but that it would be your message under your power the message that through your spirit can only speak to the hearts of men where we alone can speak to the minds. 
Father, thank you that you can go beyond that mind and you can reach into that heart. And we pray this morning as, Lord, you look across this congregation and you know the needs of each individual. Lord, if there's one that's lost, please save them. If there's a backslider, might they be restored this day? And for every one of your children, as you look within them and know their very needs, I pray, Lord, that you might meet those needs. Lord, I pray that you'd help us, Lord, to be receptive, responsive to all that you have for us, that each of us in some way could leave here today more like our Savior. We will give you the praise and honor for it, for it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. We began last week on the idea that this ministry of witness requires commitment. And we looked at those first two words, first of all, in our text when he said, Go ye, go into all the world. We looked at a number of things concerning that, but may I just remind you that when Jesus said, Go ye into all the world, he's not just talking to those missionaries that go out there to some other part of the world. This message is to each and every one of us. It was delivered to his apostles, which are the very foundation of the church that he left behind to accomplish his work. He's speaking to all of us. He says, go. In other words, go and get outside of those comfortable homes. Go outside the four walls of the church, which we feel so comfortable within. Go, get outside of your comfort zone. Go next door. Go across the street. Go on to those streets where all the, the lost are there and, and literally are going to die. The Bible says if they don't believe, they will be damned. They will face judgment. They will face an eternity without God. Go on to the streets. Go to the to the millions that need to hear the simple message of the gospel. Go to the cities, go to the jungles, go to the deserts, go to the mountaintops. He's saying to us, as a believer, as my church, go anywhere and everywhere on planet earth where there's a man, there's a woman, there's a boy, there's a girl that's lost, that's going to drop into eternity without Christ, without having any hope of salvation, many of them. Why? Because somebody wasn't committed enough to go. We can blame it on anything we want to. The message is to you and I. It's to his church today. What a privilege. So many times we see it as a burden, but I asked you a simple question last week. Where do your commitments lie? You see, the truth is, is that we're all committed to something in life. We're all committed to doing certain things. Where do your commitments lie? Go. Does God want you to go? Yes. Does God want you to go someplace else besides where you are right now? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. Are you listening? We looked at the simple, simple answer that the prophet Isaiah said. Here am I. Send me. The Lord's question was, who will go for me? <laughs> His simple answer was, here am I. Send me. 
You see, that's, that's where it comes down to today. That's where the leather meets the road. Are you willing to say, Lord, here I am. I don't know where God wants you. I know he wants you to go to the lost people around you. If we fail in that as a church, I don't care what else we succeed in. I don't care what kind of programs we have. I don't care how much people like it or dislike it. I don't care what the community thinks about us. If we fail in going with the gospel, we have totally failed. We have completely failed. We have missed the object of our being here. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. That's why I died. That's what it's all for. That was what was planned before the foundation of the world. As the body of Christ, if we miss that, we've missed it all. So committed to going. We've all got to be willing to go. But now I want to really make you happy today. <laughs> You've heard this before, I know. You see, not only does God want you to go, he wants you to give. Committed to giving. You see, when he said, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, it is a fact. When you find your place of service, when you are genuinely, faithfully committed to what God wants you to be doing, believe it or not, you do have limitations. Everybody has limitations. The simple truth is, is that you can't go everywhere and preach to every creature all by yourself. But you can help send others. You can go through others. You see, I make no apologies about saying that if a church not only is not a soul-winning church in its own community, and if a church is not a missions-minded church that is doing everything, not only in its power, but beyond their power, to reach to the regions beyond, then I simply say, folks, it may be a church, but it's not a New Testament church. It is not a New Testament church. You see, Romans chapter 10 one of the passages that we so often turn to when we're leading someone to Christ. We take them to the Romans road. In Romans chapter 10, we find those wonderful verses that teach us beginning there in verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed, for there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. Verse 13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved. Isn't that wonderful news? Isn't that exciting? We take people there and we show them, this is what you need to be saved. We've maybe already used the Romans road and we showed them that 
Everybody sin. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That the wages of sin is death, but that the, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And we've brought them through that and we bring them to this portion which says, believe, call upon the Lord Jesus Christ. For with the heart man believeth. It's got to come from within. With the mouth, confession is made. But he says that if you will call upon him, he will save you. That's wonderful. It's exciting. And I thank God there's no greater thrill in the world than when I've been able to, to show that passage to people and them say, yes, I do want to call out to the Lord. But the scripture goes on. Verse 14 says, how then? I mean, everybody that calls on him will be saved. But verse 14 says, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. The most wonderful, exciting, life-changing news in all of the world. The gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. When we didn't deserve it, <laughs> he went and he died in our place. He loved us so completely, unconditionally. The fact is, is that every human being, he was the propitiation, not for our sins only, Brother Romani, but for the sins of the whole world. The sacrifice was sufficient. The news is there. The message is there. But he says, how are they going to believe? How are they going to have this opportunity to call upon the Lord if they've never heard? Unless somebody sends somebody. What was it that he, he stated there in that, that last verse that we read? How shall they preach except they be sent? Who's doing the sending? From everything we've seen, surely it's the church that's doing the sending. We are doing the sending. We send preachers to proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. How shall they preach except they be sent? The message is wonderful. The message is life-changing, but it's absolutely worthless if they don't hear it. It will accomplish nothing for them. I read you the following article. It comes from a missionary by the name of Del Tar that served 14 years, served 14 years in West Africa. And he told this story after returning. He said, I was always perplexed by Psalm 126 until I went to the Sahel. Psalm 126, they that goeth forth weeping, bearing precious seed. 
He said that stretch of savanna more than 4,000 miles wide, just under the Sahara Desert. And to say how all the moisture comes in a four-month period, May, June, July, and August. After that, not a drop of rain falls for eight months. The ground cracks from dryness and so do your hands and your feet. The winds of the Sahara pick up the dust and throw it thousands of feet into the air. Then comes slowly drifting across West Africa as a fine grit. It gets in your mouth, it gets in your watch, it makes it stop. The year's food, of course, must all be grown in those four months. Their main crop, sorghum. I guess some of the barley from making milo in small fields. October, November. He said they're beautiful months. The granaries are full. The harvest has come. People are singing and people are dancing. They're enjoying two good meals a day. That sorghum is, is ground between two stones to, to make flour and then to make a mush out of that. And they take this sticky mush when it's hot. They roll it into little balls between their fingers. They drop it into a bit of sauce and they pop it in their mouth. And boy, it's so good. It just, it fills their tummy. It lies heavy on their stomachs so that they can actually lay down and go to sleep. But that's October and November. Then December comes. The granaries start to recede. A lot of families begin to leave off the morning meal and just have the afternoon meal. By January, probably not one family in 50 are still eating two meals a day. By February, the evening meal diminishes as well. The meal shrinks even more during March and children begin to succumb to the sickness. You don't stay well on half a meal a day. April, he said, is the month that haunts my memory. You begin to hear the babies crying in the twilight. Most of the days are passed with only an evening cup of gruel. So then, inevitably, it'll happen. Probably a a six or a seven-year-old boy, he'll come running to his dad one day and he's got all this excitement. He's saying, Dad, Dad, we've got grain. The dad looks at him, son, you know we haven't had grain for weeks. Oh, yes, we have, Dad. Out in the hut where we keep the goats, there's a, there's a leather sack hanging on the wall. I reached up and I, and I put my hand in there and dad, there's grain in there. Give some to mommy so that she can make flour and so our tummies can sleep tonight. The father stands there kind of motionless. He looks at his son and he very softly speaks, son, we can't do that. He says, son, that's next year's seed grain. It's the only thing between us and starvation. We're waiting for the rains, and then we'll use it. 
The rains finally arrive in May, and, and, and when they do, this young boy watches as his father takes the, the sack from the wall, and he does the most unreasonable thing imaginable. I mean, they're hungry. They're almost to, to starvation. Instead of feeding his desperately weakened family, he goes out into the field, tears streaming down his face. And he begins to take that precious seed, and he just begins to throw it everywhere, <laughs> scattering it in the dirt. Why? Because he believes in the harvest. He believes if he sows those seed, there will be a harvest. The seeds are his. He can do what he wants to with it. That act of sowing, sometimes it hurts so much when he sees the pain of his family that, that it actually makes him cry. He said he heard one African pastor say, when preaching on that passage in Psalm 126, brothers and sisters, this is God's law of the harvest. Don't expect to rejoice later unless you've been willing to sow in tears. He went on to say, how much would it cost you to sow in tears? He's not talking about just giving something out of our abundance of what we've got, but how about finding a way to say, I believe in the harvest and therefore I'm going to give what makes no sense. I know the world is going to call it unreasonable, but I've got to sow regardless in order that I may someday celebrate with songs of joy. See, we read it all. We read how that if we sow, there will be a harvest. But when we sow spiritual, we sow with God, it's not even just like a normal harvest. I mean, you know, in a normal harvest, you sow the seed, but you get back so much more. Do we really believe that God will give back pressed down, shaken together, and running over, the Bible says? You see, we tend to want to guard it ourselves. Do it ourselves. Do we believe that if we truly sow as the Bible has taught us to, that, that God will bring the increase? Or we continue bringing our own increase? You see, I'm not going to dwell here this morning, but I am going to mention it again. If you've been a part of this church very long, missions is a vital part. Even while we sit on these pews, regardless of how many there are here this morning, there are others all around the world. Their names, their pictures, they're back there on that prayer board. They've been sent. They've been sent so that they can take the gospel to other people. How can they hear without a preacher? We find that we've talked many times within our church about this, the three-dimensional look at giving within the Bible. There's the tithe. The tithe has always been, some think it was just the law, but no, the tithe listed, uh, existed long before the law, during the law and after the law. It wasn't part of the law. Matter of fact, under the law, they paid two tithes plus a third tithe every third year, so they were actually giving like 23 and a third percent of everything. 
We're just talking about people say, you know, because we get all this grace stuff. The simple truth is if you don't pay your tithes, you don't just suddenly become unsaved. <laughs> God's grace saved you. You can't buy your way in. And when he told the prophet Malachi, do you think that was only to that Old Testament prophet when he said, prove me, prove me, bring your tithe into the storehouse, prove me. If I won't literally open the windows of heaven and pour you out blessings that you won't be able to withstand. That's God's word. We tithe. We don't need to have bake sales and car boot sales and everything else so that we can pay for the new roof and pay for this and finance the church. That's not God's way. People want to do that to raise their money. That's, that's between them and God. We're just talking about the Bible. Nowhere in there has any of those things. It does have those that are saved that are part bringing their tithes into the storehouse. And then there's those free will offerings, the second dimension. You see, the simple truth is, is that there are all kinds of examples through the Scripture, but when you go back there to Moses when he was trying to build the tabernacle. And he put the need before God's people. Now, these people were already paying their tithe. But God wanted a tabernacle built. So what does he say to them? He puts the need before them as God told them to. Well, they begin to bring stuff in. Why? Over and over and over and over, the Bible says, of a willing heart. <laughs> of a willing heart, not because they had to, not because they were being made to, but because they had the privilege of having a part in God's work. This was what God was going on. They wanted to. It was their desire to. You've heard me say a lot of times, boy, I'd love one day to have to do what Moses said. <laughs> I mean, these people were bringing in everything, their possessions, they were piling it in, and all of a sudden Moses had to say, stop. Please, don't bring anything else. We've got too much. We've got more than we need. Stop. Don't bring anything more. You see, they were just doing that out of their love for God's work. The first dimension of giving the tithe. No, you don't have to pay your tithe to be saved. But boy, you're messing out on the blessings of God. That's been the pattern right the way through. God gave a pattern. I heard somebody say the other day, and it's not a bad idea. It's a shame the government can't learn from that and just practice their taxing the same way that, that God just asks a tithe, you know. No loopholes. He gets the top 10% of whatever. Free will offerings just because you love God. That third dimension, you'd be surprised. I mean, I, I spent a lot, a lot of years in a church that was a good, solid Bible church that preached the truth that help support missionaries and all these things. And I never saw this thing of faith promise missions, of giving by faith. It's there in the Bible all the time. But I'd just never seen it. I'd never heard it preached. But you see, your free will offerings, you can give those a lot of ways. You can give those out of an abundance because God has just blessed you so much that you just, you just take some of that abundance. You can give it sacrificially. You can give it like we're talking here. It just makes no sense. Well, we don't want it to make sense to the world. We want it to make sense to God. 
You see, everything the Bible teaches us about faith promise, this was what they were doing. They were already doing what they could, but then they had to trust a God where nothing is impossible. They said it was beyond them. It was beyond what they could do. And we use that to support the missionaries that we support. You see, I'm simply saying, folks, that, again, the commitment, the commitment is to the ministry of witness, of winning lost souls to Christ. What comfort is it of yours? What personal possession is it of yours that is so important and so vital that it's not worth trying to, you don't have the time to win that lost person to Christ or to at least give them the truth so they can believe. You don't have the means, the money, the finances to give that that other person over there might be able to hear the gospel. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just asking you to be honest with yourself. I'm just giving you the word of God as it's there before us. The ministry of witness requires commitment. It's going to require commitment to going. If we don't go to the world, nobody else is going to, folks. It's up to the church. And it's going to require commitment to giving. We've got to be willing. We've got to be willing to give that others may go. We've got to be willing to give so that even at home, the souls can be won to the kingdom. We've got to be committed to a third thing. And that's what I simply call guarding. Going, giving, guarding. You see, he said, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Teaching them to observe, what's the next word? All things whatsoever I've commanded you. It only takes the gospel for a person to be saved. And that's our first responsibility. But then, church, we have a great response. Teach them all things whatsoever he has commanded. To teach them the whole counsel of God. This book is not meant just to know. It's meant to live. A lot of people listen to me. I say this with the greatest love that I can offer a lot of people have the greatest intentions, maybe with their going and their giving, but they miss the boat when it comes to guarding. It's important to go. It's important to go to the people that are in such need in this world, needs physically and spiritually. There are many. Just as the account that we read, a true account from a missionary that has spent those years in West Africa, there are many that literally, as we sit here this morning, they don't know where their next meal is coming from. That's fact. It's important. It's important to do what we can to meet the genuine needs of those people. And it does deserve our attention. But you know what? We have to be careful. I hope that we've already talked about the compassion in this thing. I hope that you feel, I hope that you hurt. 
When you see those people in their needs, it's supposed to make us hurt. It made Jesus hurt deep down inside himself when he saw them. But we don't act just on emotions. It's not good enough just to throw all of our money out there and throw all of our time out there, through whatever it is out there, so that the needs of those people can be kept, so that they can be met if we're not doing this third thing. You see, it's vital that when we act in our going and when we act in our giving, that we do so with the greatest need in all the world, that we do so with the gospel at the forefront and the truth of God's word in everything that we do at the center of all that we do, the gospel and the truth need to be committed to, not compromised away. Many would say, you know, well, let's meet that need. And they genuinely feel for those people and they're genuinely doing it. But they need the word of God. They need their eternity change. Yes, they need their need met right now. We can feel better sometimes because we do care, because we do do, but it's important that we do right we're not talking about being crazy. We're not talking about isolating ourselves. We're not talking about even that somebody's got to dot every I and cross every T just like we do. Matter of fact, we've tried through these past hundred sermons to make a very clear distinction. Folks, there are fundamentals of the faith that if they are violated, if they're put away, it is no longer the same faith. But within that faith, there are many things that we may see slightly different on. We may not believe the same and we may not do the same. We, not exact, we may not act exactly the same. That doesn't make us enemies. It doesn't make people heretics. We've got to be careful. But we shouldn't compromise the truth. There are plenty of people out there that believe the truth of God's word and we need to be careful that when we're going and when we're giving, that we're guarding, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever the Lord has commanded, that we're guarding the truth both at home and around the world. It's vital. You see, we are contending the faith. We should be guarding the foundations. We must be committed to the gospel. But we just as surely must be committed to truth. It's important to guard the foundations at home. It's important to guard the foundations on the field. A lot of people in the world can and will, and thank God, give to the physical needs of people that are real and genuine and need to be met. But you need to understand, it's only Christians. It's only the church that's going to be concerned to reach their eternal spiritual needs as well. 
only the committed Christian, through a committed New Testament church, is going to have any desire to guard the truth that can and will set those people free wherever they are in the world, whatever their needs might be, whatever constraints might be upon them. It's the truth that will set them free. You see, we can give all over. But I'm just saying with the commission that's been given to us as a New Testament church, there is no excuse. We've looked for weeks. If there's any doubt in your mind whatsoever of the vastness of the job and the importance of the job that we have before us in everything that we do to get the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to every creature, then I'm not sure where you've been. And you've certainly not paid attention to what God has said. It's everything to him. As a church, and that church is made up of a body of believers, that's going to require some commitment. It's going to require commitment to go, commitment to give, commitment to guard. But I want to give you this real quickly. It's also going to require cooperation. <laughs> you see, you got to be committed to the point. The song that we sing sometimes, I have decided to follow Jesus. <laughs> The last part of that says, though none go with me, still I will follow. You see, you've got to be committed to the point that you'll go it alone. If nobody else in all the world is going with you, you're going to follow Jesus. You're going to follow in his footsteps. You're going to do what he wants. But I want to tell you something. That's not the way the Lord meant for it to be done. <laughs> he didn't mean you to have to go it alone. You've got to be committed enough to do it. When Jesus Christ chose those 12, when he was laying the foundation of that church that he was building, do you know he didn't send them out one by one as lone rangers? He sent them out two by two, preaching that message of repentance in perfect context with what we're looking at here today. In Mark chapter 6, notice what he says in verses 7 to 13. Says it, and he called unto him the twelve and began to send them forth by two and two and gave them power over unclean spirits and commanded them that they should take nothing of their journey save a staff only, no scrip, no bread, no money in their purse, but be shod with sandals and not put on two coats. And he said unto them, in what place soever ye enter into an house, there abide till you depart from that place. And whosoever shall not receive you nor hear you, when you depart thence, shake off the dust under your feet for a testimony against them. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. And they went out and preached that men should repent. They cast out many devils and anointed with oil many that were sick and healed them. Jesus sent them forth to do his work. You know, the simple truth is we see a number of truths in there, and that's not our main purpose, but notice he sent them out two by two. And when he sent them out two by two, they went with the message of repentance. And Brother Steve, the simple truth was people had the choice to reject it. 
They were just to leave, to shake the dust on their feet. Literally, that was not their responsibility anymore because they'd been given the truth. We can't. We can't have, really, we can't have any true input into how a person is going to act or receive or reject. But we must give them the truth that they need. He sent them forth two by two. After sending out the 12 to preach repentance, he later sent out 70 more, the Bible tells us. Again, in perfect context of what we're looking at here, in the Gospel of Luke chapter 10, notice that he tells us this. It says, And after these things, the Lord appointed other 70 also, and sent them two and two before his face into every city and place whither he himself had come. And you can finish reading right down through there all that they were to go. Again, they were not concerned about themselves. They were going out there. They were leaving all their personal things behind. They were going out there to take the truth to people, to preach a message of repentance that they might turn to him. Of course, there's another thing that we find in Scripture. That's very, very important. Why does he send them out two by two? Why didn't you think, well, boy, they could have went twice as many places if they just went out individually? Well, I think that, number one, folks, even they're being sent out. Today they're sent out by the church. When they're sent out, they're sent out two by two. We all need encouragement. We all need to be accountable as well. So it helps with a lot of those things. Notice in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 in verse 1. This is the third time I am coming to you in the mouth of, notice the next words, two or three witnesses shall every word be established. What are they going out to do? To witness. In the face of two or three witnesses, shall every word be established. We find if we look over to 1 Timothy chapter 5, and notice what it says there in verse 19, against an elder receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. A witness. It needs at least two minimum. An accusation that's brought against needs at least two minimum. We find that if we look into the book of Hebrews and chapter 10 and in verse 28, he that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. The minimum was two witnesses. Two or three witnesses. We find that if we look right back into the Old Testament in Deuteronomy chapter 30, notice what it said there in verse 19. He says, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both thou and thy seed may live. You see, that simple truth is there today. 
That truth has been set before us. I call heaven and earth. The witnesses too there again. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, against your choice. Folks, I'm simply saying, if we're going to perform this ministry of witness as God has called us to do it, he gave us an example. He sent them forth two by two. It's going to require cooperation, first of all, with each other within the church. When the Lord gave the commission to the church through the apostles, they would have no reason to consider or do it differently than the way that they'd been taught, that had been established in Scripture right the way through. We know that today many would attempt to belittle, weaken the teachings even of the church, that individuals just go out there on their own, their own and do their own thing. But we find that that's not the New Testament way. That's not the Bible way. That doesn't change the truth. We've seen in great detail the importance of the body working together in unity as we've looked at all of these teachings concerning the church, encouraging the building up, the accountability, all of these things to be an effective witness as a church. We need to cooperate. We need a cooperative spirit one with the other. We need to cooperatively work together as a single body, the body of Christ. From everything that we have studied concerning the church, it should be an absolute given that we are committed to the ministry of witness through giving, through going, through guarding. That all requires cooperation. Those that go are sent by the church. This whole series about the great need, both individually and cooperatively as a church, to guard the truth, to contend for the faith. And as for giving, we saw that great detail, the cooperation of our tithes and love offerings and faith promise together. You see, Giving was done through the tabernacle, the temple, the storehouse, the church in the New Testament. So I'm saying to you, the folks, we've got to be committed. It's going to require commitment, but it requires cooperation, but not only with Christians within the local church, but with others in like-minded churches. You see, in 2 Corinthians, even where it's teaching us there of this whole matter of giving beyond our means and everything, even there we find that there were churches, plural. And one church was giving so that another church could be blessed. What one church can't do alone in being able to send those forth with the gospel a number of churches together are able to do. All through the New Testament, the churches work together for the common good of the whole body of Christ. Of course, there's a lot of imperfections within and without, but there needs to be true unity. Unity in the truth, 
as God delivered it to us. Okay, so we might do things a little differently. We might have some different styles of worship. But folks, God's truth is still God's truth, and there can be no compromise there. The ministry of witness, it's not given to our church only, but to all churches. When we stand together, when we cooperate with those other churches, we can accomplish much more. The ministry of witness, folks, it requires commitment. It requires cooperation. And I'm not going to go into this one today, but it requires communion. You see, Jesus is the one. And we'll look at each one of these passages that he's given us for one final time probably in this commission. But everything we do, all the money in the world, all your money, all your possessions, Matter of fact, we could all get up this morning, Romani, and just go. <laughs> go everywhere and give everything that we've got and guard the truth of God's Word. We could cooperate together. We could get some others out there in those other churches working with us. You know what? Do you know what we would accomplish without God? Zero. Zero. You see, I'm not trying today to make it hard on your flesh. I'm not trying to get you to do something just in your flesh and the emotions. I'm trying to give you the truth of God's Word. God's given us a way, and God's the one that will do it. The same Jesus that sent them out is the one that said, All power is given to me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore. As a result of that, because of this, that's why you go out there. We won't be there next week because we'll have a guest preacher, but God willing, the week after. You see, as we think about this, the ministry of witness is crucial. Nobody will be saved without it. No church would exist without it. No church will continue without it. It's central to everything they did, even when they were run out of town, even when there was nobody left in Jerusalem but the apostles, the Bible says they went everywhere preaching the gospel. It's crucial. It's central to everything that they did. <coughs> He's compassionate. How dare we say that we care and do absolutely nothing about it? Jesus hurt. We need to hurt. We need to care like he cared. We find that for a church to sit back and have everything that all the programs and all the ministries and all the things going on, but not to care for the lost, that's not a New Testament church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We find that we said that, you know, it's, it's Christian. It's Christ-like. That's why he came. That's what we, we call ourselves. We take his name. It's commanded. We can either obey or disobey. All those reasons that we've got to go, that requires commitment. Commitment to go. Commitment to give. 
and commitment to guard by his truth all that we do. It also requires cooperation. Folks, we got to do it together. We got to do it together as a unified body here, but we've got to do it together with those other Christians out there too that believe those same truths, that are sharing that same gospel. But I want us to realize that all of that, as important as it is, without communion, it requires, it requires commitment. It requires cooperation, but it requires communion with God. It requires communion that, that can only be found literally on our knees before him. No great movement of God in history has ever taken place without prayer, without God being a part of it. You see, there's reasons, and we'll look at those things in there. There's reasons why he even held them up and said, wait at Jerusalem. Wait until that spirit that will come in and do you with power from on high. God's work will go forth, folks, and it will accomplish, and there will be fruit, and we've got to be involved. But too often today, we've got our system so worked out, our programs so planned that we just plan God right out of the picture. We're going to have to depend upon him. We're going to have to be in constant communion with him. With everything else we did, it's only him that can ever save a soul. All the witnessing in the world will accomplish nothing. You can get people to say a little prayer. You can get people to sign a little card. You can get people to go through the waters of baptism. You can get people to join church. You can get people to become religious. You can get people to do a lot of things. But you'll never get anybody to be genuinely born again without the work of God in their heart. The Holy Spirit is the only one that can convict. You can play on their emotions. You can get them to feel all kinds of things. Only the Holy Spirit can convict and convince them of the truth and convert them from their sins. Father, I thank you today. Lord, I know that as we look at these things, I pray, Lord, that you'd, on the one instance, Lord, encourage us. What a great, wonderful privilege. Everything that you did, you did that the lost could be saved, that the sinner could be, Lord, forgiven. Father, in saving us, Lord, in building your church and placing us within this body of believers. Lord, you've allowed us to have a part in that which your whole life, your whole ministry was about. I pray that you'd help us, Lord. Help us to get excited about your things. Help us to feel about the people around us like you do. Help us, Lord, as a church to get excited about the wonderful opportunity. Yes, we can look around and we can see that we're in dark days and a lot of bad things are going on. And Lord, society as a whole seems to be turning away from anything that's biblical. But Lord, the darker that darkness, the brighter our light can shine forth. Help us, Lord, please. Help us, Lord, to make a difference. Help us as we're going to be looking at God willing this next weekend during our conference to have an impact on our world, the right kind of an impact. Help us to make a difference. Lord, we don't want to just coast through just so that we can enter into the portals of heaven one day. 
Help us to get excited about what we can do right here, right now. We have something, Lord, that no one in all the world has except those that belong to you. Lord, we have a message that will change any human being's life if they'll but believe. But Father, I pray that you'd help us. Help us, Lord, not to be what we want to be, but be what you would have us to be. We'll give you the praise for that in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. 